0: All right, uh day. I am Farron Tyron, uh, sometimes known as the Guam Guy. Uh, welcome to the first episode of the show, which as of this recording still doesn't have a name. One <laughs> uh, will certainly be up by the time it's posted, though. Uh, I am joined with uh, Christine Farron from uh, Guam Forestry, uh, Department of Agriculture. She's the chief of Guam Forestry, yes?
1: Yes, division chief. Yep.
0: Amazing. And uh, Brandon... Idlet, you got it. Idlet, I'd yes. It. Okay, I won the bet there. Uh, from the <laughs> National Weather Service. Uh, so we're here to talk about wildfire. So a super fun, happy talk uh, for our very first episode and launch of this show. Uh, we'll try to keep it uh, a little light, but it is a bit of a more serious topic. So uh, we will be behaving appropriately. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll just start off with the uh, with where where this all began. I was hiking last Saturday. Um, there's maybe 30 people out on the southern mountain ridge, including some 11 year old children. And I saw some fire off in the distance. Uh, more, I'm sorry, I saw some smoke off in the distance and we were all concerned that it was going to cut us off and it was going to um, be a, a danger to us personally, either the fire itself or smoke inhaling the smoke. And so some of the group was way ahead of us and they had decided to divert um, to somewhere they thought they'd be more safely. Uh, I just chose to go on through um, and was constantly assessing the fire the whole way. So I'm gonna play a clip now and see if I can get uh, our experts to uh, react. This was the largest fire that we saw that day and there was four uh, wildfires around while we were, were hiking. This was the biggest one. So I'll go ahead and cue this up. This is a dead brown tree snake that literally burned to death. Uh, a few months ago I was uh, here at the Asgodao Tree Planting Site, uh, restoration area, planting trees. Right over there. And now it's burned. So probably a couple thousand or so uh, seedlings that were planted by maybe a couple hundred volunteers are burned. This was 100% avoidable and unnecessary. Every fire on Guam is man-made, so all the years of forestry work and the efforts of hundreds of volunteers went up in smoke. All because someone wasn't careful or intentionally started the fire. Fortunately most of the older trees will survive but I have no idea how many or few of the trees planted last year will make it. I counted four wildfires while hiking and maybe 40 people on the trail and some of them were kids. So protect yourselves and your children out there this fire season. All right. So uh, I've been doing this short series on wildfire on my, uh, on my Instagram. And I've been making this constant claim that 100% of wildfires are man-made. They're all caused by people. So I was wondering if I could get fact-checked on that, maybe that you might have some slightly different opinions, and that's okay. Um, maybe we could go with you first, Brandon.
2: Yeah, well, uh, out here in, in, in Guam... Uh, there's not much other natural reason for, for wildfires. In the continental United States, you can get uh, what we call dry lightning. So that is thunderstorms that have very high cloud bases, uh, several thousand feet up above the ground. And so while they produce rainfall, that rain has fully evaporated by the time it has actually reached the ground. But you can still get lightning and those very dry conditions, that lightning will spark new fires. And that's very problematic. Out here for in the tropics, uh, we don't see dry lightning. If there's any type of a thunderstorm, we're going to be seeing heavy rain uh, rainfall right there near the lightning area. Uh, so this time of year in the dry season, we we don't normally see thunderstorms. And so the only way that, is, that we see these fires start is through intentional acts uh, of people setting a fire, discarding cigarette butts, burning trash. Uh, perhaps you could have uh, power power lines that could be uh making contact sparking i don't know but uh ultimately it all kind of goes back to a human caused uh at least ignition for fires and Mm -hmm. christine can probably uh vouch for a few more thoughts on that
1: that's definitely the case i mean these human they're human caused ignitions and so when we talk about fires it is important to just keep repeating that These are human starts, whether they're intentional um, sets out in the mountains and in our wild areas like you see in the video, or they're escaped backyard fires. You know, we have a lot of family members and friends that we all know who like to go outside and clear their yard, clean it up. Maybe some that decide to burn trash, which, you know, you, you need permits for any kind of backyard burning, but it is also illegal to be burning your trash. So that's a good reminder for the community. So When you are hiking and you do see fire, take note, pay attention to what's around, who's around you, what's going on, because those fires are human-caused. So It's just a great point to keep highlighting. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so there you have it from at least two uh, experts in this field. Uh, wildfire is 100% man-made on Guam, uh, so that's terribly sad, really unfortunate. Uh, I have a comment here on uh, one of the postings I made on Facebook. From uh, Amber Bungato, I hope I'm saying that okay, Uh, and I quote, You notice some places are exact same locations every few months, Mm -hmm. but most are smokers flicking out cigarettes. I see it all the time on Cross Island. Um, wrote, so,
1: let, let me tackle that. So um, we do have our wildfire investigations, and I know quite a bit of the community heard about it. We We advertised it, and it was covered great by the news. In 2020, we had our first wildland fire investigation training in a couple of decades. So all fire partners came to the table. We all participated in this. And through our trainings, it was definitely emphasized that the majority of these fires, are uh these intentional sets or escaped yard backyard fires. Cigarette cigarette starting fires is a much lower um risk. It's disgusting. Let's be very clear about this. You're littering, okay? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> let's be let's let's highlight that too. But um the risk of, of fire from cigarettes, there is a risk. There is definitely a risk, but uh it's it's the actions that these intent um intentional actions that we have to be very careful of, right? So Cross Island Road, the fires that we have um, investigated in the past, they were um, intentional sets. There's usually indicators that show us that a cigarette started a fire. Um, in the, in the, the four that we did check, uh, we did not find cigarette butts or evidence of uh, a cigarette-caused fire. Not to say it can't happen, okay? But it's, it's not as frequent as we think so there are people that are really just doing this because they have no regard for for the natural resources or the people that live in the area or the resources that we rely on and we need to hold people accountable yeah
0: so in 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 my perspective uh yeah fair enough Uh, not not to defend someone throwing away a cigarette but but i i feel like it's not is it is it too big a deal if it's completely out isn't it just going to biodegrade anyway or is, or is there some plastic in there that people we don't know about or anything like that? With Brandon, if you have an opinion. I think
1: it's in the filter, isn't the fil- Everything yeah. toxic is left in that filter which you're leaving in the environment okay. when you can properly dispose of it. I mean... I have fam- a lot, most of my family members, I have a lot of them that are smokers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I grew up with them killing their cigarettes and putting it in their pocket until they can throw it in the trash.
0: Wow. What a role So up. that's just, I mean, no, you know, it's
1: like, I'm not. I'm not
0: being sarcastic. I'm like, I'm I'm not, like I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not anti-smoke.
1: I mean, okay, wait, that's, <laughs> we're not going to get into a smoking debate. No worries, brand, okay, no worries. But my, uh-huh. the, the point is, it's just, there's a, you carry it in, carry it out. You mm, know what I mean? Exactly. Carry it in, carry it out. That's all. It's this isn't a stance on don't smoke. This is this is a stance on, we've got to do everything we can to be to to practice caution, mm-hmm. and that's all we
2: ask. Got to be good stewards of the environment, yeah. and, and uh, I guess even before you can get to the part of uh, the litter and the biodegrading, I, I've got a three-year-old son, and when we go to the beach, he sees oh, yeah. all these little colorful things on the sand, the shells. There's a little duck, duck, the hermit crabs, and. And what's this little orange thing? And he's picking up this cigarette butt. And yeah. and there's the inclination, especially when he was younger, to want to stick that in his mouth. Oh. Ooh, and it's, it's disgusting. So, clean up after yourselves. Yeah. just just do it. All right, I'm sold.
0: Uh, you, you got me. I, I reserve the tiniest little bit of doubt. Uh, but you Smokers got me. Smokers don't
1: come at me. I'm, I'm there. Just...
0: I'm there. If you're, smoke, yeah, yeah. You know, if you're gonna smoke, yeah. If you're gonna know, smoke, I'd encourage you not to, but at least don't throw your your, your yeah. uh, cigarette butts just wherever yeah. you like. Um, so, just getting back to the to the starts part of it. So, you're saying, just to be totally clear, maybe some are started by cigarette butts, but it would be few in comparison to intentional sets or escaped backyard fires.
1: Right, and you know what, we shouldn't leave out too the the youth starts mm-hmm. the the youth starts meaning you know our curious kids. So the way we can combat that is talk to your kids about fire, educate them, you know, like take them to the barbecue and help them have them help you start the barbecue. It mm-hmm. takes away that element of curiosity where they're going to go and hide behind the house or hide in the jungle by the house and play with fire, like get them involved in the the, the daily responsible task. And that's what it is. It's just they're curious. Mm-hmm. So let's. Educate them on that and get them
2: involved. I will say with the educational, when I was growing up, I had a one acre yard. Uh, And my family and I, we practically lived in a forest. We had uh, almost 70 pine trees. And so they dropped pine straw throughout the year. And every spring we would go out, we would rake the entire yard. I hated it because (laughs) of so much effort. And then we would dump all of these uh, hundreds of wheelbarrows of pine straw in the ditch and then burn it. And I remember my mother... Uh, Very religiously, she would go to the local fire department, first get the burn permit, and then she would always walk out there with her her Kleenex and just drop it just to see which way the wind is blowing because whichever way the wind was coming from, she would start the fire uh, on the other end. That way the wind doesn't just whip the fire along the whole ditch and burn all the pine straw at once, but it was just kind of a slow, controlled creep upwind. And then we also had... Uh, two very long water hoses that could easily uh, reach the entire uh, ditch of all that burn area and so we did it very methodically and very controlled every year we never had the fire get away from us because we watched it very closely
1: That's a great lesson on fire science that was your mom taught you how to backburn <laughs> yeah, like, Wow She okay. was on top of
2: it she did yeah. not want to get that fire out of
0: uh, yeah. out of hand
1: That's awesome
0: So you just <laughs> used a, a word there that kind of um uh, uh, raises uh, some questions in mind and that word was controlled. So we, we, I get this question and the comment on my comments, or I just hear it throw it around. Um, was that a controlled burn? Oh, it was a controlled burn. People have this assumption that, uh, of what a controlled burn is. And maybe I'll just test my understanding of this. So a controlled burn, as everyone understands it, including myself, is one where you control how far a fire will spread understandably. Um, And from previous conversations with you, uh, Chief Christine, um, a controlled burn has at least another aspect and that's controlling the temperature. So you don't want to let a fire to be too hot to where it, it, um, instead of of getting that nutrients out of the plants and like bringing it back into the soil, just burns it up, including the uh, subsurface network. So the the fungi or whatever is underground. Is, Is that accurate?
1: Pretty much. I mean, that covers quite a bit of it. It's the when you say control temperature, it's it's controlling the the amount of vegetation that's burning, controlling the fuel load. Mm -hmm. If it's too high, like these wildfires that are that are ignited, the the amount of vegetation on the ground um, when it hits those thick, thick patches. Like you look up in the sky and you see white smoke and then you look up in the sky and you see black and darker smoke. It's the thickness of the vegetation around. And so for a prescribed burn, it's definitely, you want the fire, there's a mission for the fire, and you have to direct where that's going to go, the elements, meaning the, the weather conditions are, are right, wind is low, because um, you want to maintain control of that, and the vegetation is low. So, if it's too too tall, so you still have to do work, like, mm-hmm. uh, we've had requests for for agriculture burn permits. And we haven't issued an agriculture burn permit at agriculture in six years. Hmm. Wow. And it's not because we're not. The, the the program is open. It's that when the people come in, the, the farmers come in to ask for this permit, and then we educate them, we do the site inspection, we educate them on what's required and the conditions. They actually, every single one of them, stopped and said, you know what? I didn't realize. We're going to come up with another method. We don't want to use fire. <laughs> And because people want to use fire to just take away the Sakati. I have to farm it. I need to clear the land, period. But we talk about fuel load, vegetation, height, and, and spread. Smoke. Mm-hmm. Smoke is the big one, especially if your farm is in the middle of the village or around the village. And they start thinking about it. I'm like, ah, I guess I'm going to have to bush cut this. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going to have to borrow a, a tractor or something. But it's, it's not... We understand that fire for agriculture can be a tool. We understand that. We're not removing that from the menu. What we are requiring is people coming in for the permit. We do the inspection. We check weather. And we do this safely. But the fires you're seeing today, and you have seen for the last six years, have been unprescribed burns. Okay? These are not permitted burns. And many of them, if not all of them, have been arson fires or, mm-hmm. and, and escaped backyard fires. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, <laughs> they haven't been prescribed burns. Mm-hmm. Let's just yeah. make that clear. <laughs>
2: well, kind of on that yeah. same topic, uh, back at home in, in eastern North Carolina, uh, you would rotate the crops every couple of years, and and there would be the years that they had planted wheat. And, mm-hmm. and so after they've harvested the wheat, they actually burned the fields, and you can smell it from miles around. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see their smoke plumes, but they're, they're, it's a controlled burn mm-hmm. uh you're revitalizing the soil uh, because every crop that you have it, it takes certain nutrients but it also replaces new ones and and, and basically the burning of that the leftover uh, the wheat field is kind of uh regenerating the life cycle uh, out of the crops and it's just amazing to see that the uh, fire can actually be a tool that mm-hmm. is very beneficial to agriculture when it's done right yeah
1: mm-hmm. when it's done When it's done outside of all of the right prescriptions, it causes more damage to your farmland. You're burning off all the mycorrhizae, those little guys that actually give you that amazing buildup of soil and and the nutrients that are found there. So, yes, there is a right height (laughs) for the vegetation before you burn it. And yes, there's majority of the cases it's just too much. Yeah. It's too much fuel. Sure. Yeah,
0: that's. I think uh, we we've just been discussing agriculture and burning on a farm, which is you know a managed space that the farmer or the owners uh, care about and they're looking after. But uh, most of the fires that we're encountering is out on the trails. It's somewhere people um, obviously are not farming. Um, to this question, I had a, a comment also, and. Um, uh, uh, Dave Lotz the hiking legend uh, literally wrote the book <laughs> yeah. uh, he says uh, hunters deliberately set the fires and uh, this seems more in line with at least the fires that I've mm-hmm. seen a more experienced dodging while hiking and um, not so much the agricultural type so what, what, what do we think about this about in, uh, wildfires is, is it is it really mostly for hunting deer can we tell or
1: We can't honestly say that. I Mm -hmm. mean, we we can say that, okay, I don't like calling hunters um, arsonists.
0: I have many hunters.
1: Real hunters do not burn. I have many friends who
0: hunt, none of them burn.
1: Yes. Mm. So so let's just call them what they are. They're arsonists. Okay. And uh, if the intent is for a take of some kind, well, you're still an arsonist. Like you know, that's that's what you are. You're still an arsonist. Mm-hmm. You've you've ripped the people off of their natural resources, clean water, fresh air, um, potential soil. Um, so it's it's a crime. Uh, but if it's going to be for deer, it could also be. You know, we've heard all kinds of um, reasons. I think our director from agriculture, uh, Chelsea, has mentioned that some of these could also be drug related. Like the take of deer could be for um, you know exchange of other goods. And well, maybe these aren't goods, mm-hmm. but for other purposes. And so I think if we just highlight the fact that these are people that are they're burning the land, it's arson, and if it's for a hunt, it's not a legal hunt..: arson, yeah. It's still arson. When we keep calling it different things, and we, it justifies it almost, mm-hmm. I'm hunting. Mm-hmm. Does that justify it?: No, it's still arson.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you have any want to weigh in there at all, Brennan
2: no, I, I think uh, she puts it in a pretty clear perspective. Uh, at least from the weather perspective, I, I, I don't think I have any insight on it, at least on, on that uh, topic.
1: <laughs> we got really heavy really quick. I thought we would crack oh, yeah. them over, but it, but it is. It's fire. It. Uh, I didn't really post anything on this fire over the weekend. I, I knew Farron had a lot of great coverage. I knew um, Elsa on the hike. She was She wanted to do something on that, too. And I think I just wanted to sit, kind of let the partners and the people experiencing it voice it this time, because Mm -hmm. you've heard from me for several years Mm -hmm. and it's time for for people, the users of all of this to speak up and say something about it and report this. And let's, we can't, you know, (laughs) we can make a difference. And I'm not saying that lightly. It's like, as a community, somebody always knows something. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, come on.
0: Uh, yeah. I'd I like to talk about this from a slightly different perspective so uh, to the audience I'm a UOG student I think I'm a sophomore now and I'm also <laughs> a Pacific Islands Climate Adaptation <laughs> Science Scholar yes. okay. <laughs> and I did a survey uh, last year and I got 189 responses and the topic was on wildfire and wildfire management and uh, one of my questions pertained to the use of wildfire as being a cultural thing um, and I had asked people to identify if they were uh, Chamorro or Guamanian. And looking at just those who were Guamanian or Chamorro, or at least partly so, uh, I asked, is wildfire part of practicing your culture? And I had 56% of people say not at all. So most people but uh, said it wasn't, but that's not a huge majority. So we had 40 some, I'm sorry, uh, we had 12% say very little, 4% say a moderate m- amount, and then 10% said that practicing, uh, wild, using wildfire is part of practicing culture. 10% of respondents said that was very much part of using their culture. So um, this presumably ties into the uh, hunting and eating of deer uh, unless there's some other potential way that people would consider using wildfire to be cultural. And so throwing the word arsonist that, while maybe uh, technically accurate, and I don't disagree with it, I, I actually agree with it. I, I think we have this other fundamental issue with people perceiving it to be part of our culture. So where do we go from that? Maybe we don't have the exact right crowd for this today. <laughs> I know. Maybe
1: as a Chamorro woman, uh-huh, sure. um, as a Chamorro woman, it's also in our culture to, to take only what we need mm-hmm. and to provide for mm-hmm. the community.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There is nothing that represents culture in mm-hmm. this use of fire, in this way, when you have an uncontrolled fire that has left a boundary and crossed villages, ridges, waterways. And the ramification of that is all of the impacts downstream, the the erosion, the sediment loss, the flooding in the village, the the sedimentation on the corals. Mm -hmm. And so I'm gonna speak as the eldest, you know, daughter <laughs> in my family, mm-hmm. uh, that I I don't see that, and I I don't want to open a cultural debate on it. It's just I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around someone saying that oh, when you look at just, the big just picture. Discussion.
0: That have to be oh
1: no no no! <laughs> I t- I'm totally open for the for <clears throat> the discussion. It's just mm. it's really hard to hear. You mm. know, as if if we if you're Chamorro or you you know, and we say that it's a cultural. Practice. I I just see <laughs> that it's a very destructive one mm-hmm. yeah. if that's the case.
0: I think we could absolutely have the hunting and eating of year without the burning. Uh I think the, it's a lot harder, of course, but um No, the joy of the hurt. hunt is the yeah. is having
1: the challenges of of everything in your path. Okay. <laughs> I mean there's come on, what real hunter out there doesn't talk about the man I went down the hill, up the hill, I had to climb through that river. And that damn tree, oops, excuse me, but that tree was in my way. But I got the shot. I mean, uh-huh. come on. Well,
2: I I would say that uh, when I <laughs> when I did the hunting with my uncle, it was there was never any downhill. It was just always uphill both ways. But uh, we would actually we'd climb the trees and we yeah. set up shot for several hours. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we we take a little bottle of deer urine, stick it on your shoes, and try to attract <laughs> those deer. Yep, yep. And, and sure enough, they would come. And the calls. And you're sitting there with the bow and arrow. Yeah. But you, you worked hard for it.
1: Yeah. You know, my degree before this career was uh, wildlife and fishery science because I grew up fishing and going hunting with my uncle. And it was, yeah, I never got the, the gun. I just was the person tracking alongside him. But it was the joy of of the challenge. And uh, so I left to go, you know, to, to pursue this. And so coming home, it's protecting, protecting the habitat, pr- protecting the environment as a whole and uh so yeah it's it's more fun man with the trees on the ground and you don't have to hike so far (laughs) if the deer can come closer because the habitat's closer
2: oh good point you gotta
1: so yeah okay so that's another (laughs) yeah when you burn (laughs) when we burn and we take away habitat our hunters are going further inland further away from safety from community from support and that means they're coming they they get their game and they've got that much further to come back Mm -hmm. So there's a definite safety factor for our hunters. And look at our hikers out there. You guys are hiking in full sun. Mm-hmm. You know, you have pockets where you have no shade. You've got to use the tall grass mm-hmm. as your shelter. got to use each other. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just, I mean, there's, there's more to it. There's, there's a lot more to it. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful picture when we can look out and see forest. Because mm. I'll Absolutely. tell you. I mean, if we go, if we talk about Oscato again, Rudy Astoy, our forest stewardship forester, just shot me the number for um, number of trees planted at Oscato alone. Mm -hmm. You ready for it? Yes. Oscato alone, 24,400 trees to date have been Uh. planted on that site. That's what, the last three years or so? Uh, Yeah. Three, three and a half years. Woo! Wow. <laughs> Can I, you want me to say it again? Yeah, 24,400 trees. That's acacia and assorted natives across. And the footprint on this site is 100 acres. We didn't even cover the 100 acres yet. We were still working our way through it. But mm. that is not a number to, to uh, talk about lightly. No. That's a lot of money right there. Mm -hmm. So if we ever find whoever was responsible for these fires, imagine that bill. So yeah, let's yeah. And that's just trees. That's not the amount of hours Mm. to grow it, collect those seeds, get them planted, protect them with fire breaks, suppress the fire and all the fire operations that everything that was involved in operations. This is the future we will tag price tags to these cases Mm -hmm. so this is this is just showing the extent to which forestry and our fire partners are taking arson fires this is this is serious the investigations are taking place and these these dollar amounts will be tallied so wow yeah Yeah.
0: on that note of the azgara site i have a video here um with some amazing drone footage by my very good friend uh, mike hiraguo awesome drone pilot as well awesome And uh, there's no audio to this, so I'll just kind of describe for, uh, I guess, if there's anyone just listening, what they're seeing. Uh, So there's a shot of uh, myself walking through a a blackened field. And you can see rolling hills in the background to the side and down to the water. And it's all just blackened, like, down down into the waterways leading out to the uh, ocean as well. Uh, So at this point I am in the middle of the plantation and you can just see that the earth is scorched. It is black. Uh, A lot of the trees that are, let's say, a yard or so or smaller are just this kind of brown color that have been uh, torched as well. There is some survivors, uh, there's still some green trees, there are some trees that have some green tops uh, or are mostly still green because they're a bit bigger and they're able to, you know, give more shade to the grass underneath. Uh, so here we have, a, we're looking at a scene where maybe, I'm guessing that's a good 400, 500 acres by itself that have been burned up to the hilltops, down in the valleys, and including burning almost entirely straight through the tree planting site, which uh, Chief Christine was just saying was a hundred acres itself. So after seeing this, um, what are you thinking? What are you feeling?
1: So I am, going to be optimistic right now. I'm going to tell you that. I mean, it's, it's probably hard for anyone looking at this to feel that way, but the green patches that we see are the more mature trees. And so those trees were seeding. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So before this fire, they were seeding and acacia trees respond very well to fire and meaning that those seeds will germinate and we will get new acacias um, coming up very quickly. Uh, they respond very fast to fire. So this is going to be a green belt eventually, meaning it's going to it's going to be thick, it's going to be lush, and we're going to have to get in there and we're going to have to thin it. It creates a whole other forestry <laughs> problem, a <laughs> uh, management issue for us, but it will protect the interior. So everything that we plant within that stand will have a better chance. So
2: uh, I'm glad you in. said germinate. Uh, yeah. I couldn't think of the word, but... Uh... Now that you mentioned that, I do recall reading and and learning about some like forest fires and stuff mm-hmm. with weather. That uh, that sometimes the fires can be good. That the tra- trees need that for the seedlings. And so, would you say this is, in a way, uh, unintended? <laughs> It's good? well,
1: the acacia was it was selected for um, the fact that it, it, it will do well in badlands. It will do well with harsh, you know, the harsh environment <laughs> of the soil not having enough nutrients. It, it responds well. It'll it'll grow. And with the fact that fire comes through, that was the, that was the added benefit here. Not that we want an acacia forest, yeah. but it's that it will give us the green buffer, the protection we need to protect the native trees that we plant inside it. So the goal here is native and also some fruiting trees that the community wants to harvest from, right mm-hmm. um, potentially a timber a timber crop up here that maybe our artisans our canoe builders our um, anyone that needs to build a hut remember forestry is your your division where we can grow that for sustainable harvest locally buying local, harvesting local, growing local. we can do that on these plantations, but we have to keep fire off of them. Mm-hmm. And so the acacias were planted to help amend soils, but also to add, give us that green buffer, that barrier. So now fire came through. We're going to get a green barrier here.
0: If you had a choice, would you, you of course, you'd still not want the fire, yes.
1: We no, we definitely don't want fire. That was heartbreaking. Okay, I'm just just want to be fought, absolutely
0: sure. Okay, we fought. <laughs> no,
1: we do not want the fire. We fought that fire, and by the time we got a chance to get to the back of the plantation to see what had burned, before we got there, the whole crew. I mean, they spent weeks cutting fire breaks to try mm. and protect this, but no amount of for this particular fire. It it acted a bit more erratically. There was wind that was making flame length as high as 25 feet, wow. 20, 25 feet. And it was when it was in the trees. So we didn't have a fire that was running across the canopy of the trees, nothing like that. It was burning along the uh, the grass between the trees. But it was burning parts of the trees, creating those big flame lengths. And then the wind and the slope and terrain created shoots. where if you think of a chimney, that's what's happening. Uh, the fire raced up those crevices in the in the hill that act like a chimney and it made it was just it was very dangerous for our firefighters and there were only seven of us out there that day
0: Mm, so
1: you were out there with us Farron we picked up Farron on the side of the road and we're like get in let's go (laughs) and Uh, yeah uh,
0: so Bren, was there anything this is a huge fire even even among the all the ones I've seen over the years uh is, was there anything particular this day that was conducive to this fire or?
2: Well, I, I remember Christine had texted me that day uh, about the fire uh, uh, just burning through the region. And uh, so it, it was pretty windy that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a, a, a standard dry season type of weather pattern across the area and, and just really promoted their stronger winds. Kind of what we've seen the past couple of days, except the past couple of days, it's also brought those uh, very much needed rain showers. But uh, I'm just looking at the picture and uh, it's been a few years since I've hiked out there and, and this beautiful hiking along the Southern Mountains. Mm-hmm. But you can see where the, the fire kind of creeps uh, down the ridges and perhaps had... Uh, would, would you say there were some spotting fires? Oh, uh, definitely. So It and, spread
1: the way it did because of those spot fires. The wind, the wind carrying embers across this, the plantation. Yeah, yeah. And
2: looking at uh, previous fires, it's like you get to the ridge top and the fire is really stop their forward spread, their downhill spread, unless there's some type of spotting going on. And, and that's, that's, uh, you're getting ash up into the air. Uh, the wind is blowing it while it's still burning. And, and then it's depositing that into non burned sword grass. And then you're getting new fires. And, and that is a really big concern, uh, especially when there's neighborhoods and houses nearby. So yeah. that's, that's what we're really concerned uh, when we issue the, the red flag warnings uh, for those hazardous fire conditions. And, and in this case, you can definitely see where the upslope fire uh, just really rapidly went up the the southern mountains, and, and and at least from a standpoint for for combating the wildfires, that's something that the forestry fire department folks have always got to keep in mind, and and uh, especially in stateside fires where these fires can can race uh, miles in just several minutes, uh, just tremendously fast moving fires that will catch people off guard, and uh, so it's just these conditions that are that we're, we're putting our forest, uh, forestry and fire response people at risk, uh, when there are fires like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's another
0: aspect that's rarely, uh, considered is the, the potential for, for danger to uh, humans, to people and to property. And I, I that's a, uh, Great segue for, I'll just queue up another video here, and I don't know if you've seen this yet, but let's Imagine have right. looking out your window and seeing a wildfire coming directly to your house. What would you do? Would you break out the hoses or run away? Now try to imagine this isn't even the first time your home and your family have been threatened by wildfire. Earlier this day, I was hiking the Southern Mountain Ridge at the same time as this group, and from a distance, we could all see the smoke going across our planned exit. So this group, which included 11-year-old children, took a long detour to avoid the smoke and fire. Though they all ran out of water, everyone made it to safety. This one fire burned hundreds of acres, including a 100-acre volunteer tree planting site, and then it followed them home. Now the fire actually stopped at the edge of their yard because this happened before and they learned to keep the grass low so the fire can die out. But no matter what, no one should feel threatened in their home or with their family out on the trails. So to uh, the viewers or, or just the people who are just listening, what we just played was a video that shows a fire uh, that came to within mere feet of someone's house. And this isn't even the first time that happened. I have some pretty dramatic uh, phone footage from the uh, family that lives there. Uh, you can see the a view from inside the house looking out the window with some kids sitting in front of the window and out outside the window you can see some of the adults trying to not quite fight the fire with some hoses but trying to wet the grass to uh to uh slow the fire down and it actually seemed to be effective because that's where the fire did die out um but this this it's not just the environment we can talk about the environment but there's absolutely a human aspect to this where it can affect uh, people's property and and people's health and lives. So, um, going back to my survey, I have some results here uh, that I will share in just a second.
2: <clears throat>
0: so, one of my survey questions I, I I had asked if respondents had any if they had had any property damage from wildfire or know anyone personally that had a property damage from wildfire. And most people didn't, uh, which is which is a good thing. You know, we don't want people to have property damage with fire. Uh, 67% of the respondents, again, out of 189 people said that they did not have any experience with property damage from wildfire, but that means the opposite is true. So if we had 67 that did have experience with property damage, then we have 33% of people that have experience with property damage um, from wildfire and uh, 4% of them said yes, they've had extensive damage
2: mm.
0: from wildfire and uh, some of them left some comments. Uh, some of them said that their canopy, the tarps on their canopies were burned. But the more serious ones were their crops. So we have our hardworking farmers literally trying to uh, feed themselves with income and feed us with their produce, uh, said that their crops were burned, their crops were damaged. Uh, one farmer reported 2000 another 3000 another $5,000 in damages. And uh, in, in total, just from these respondents, which was 14 people or 14 families, Uh, there was $32,000 in damages. And this doesn't even Mm. include comments that um, didn't give a dollar amount Mm. of an estimate. Uh, A couple of these comments are, uh, quote, complete wipeout of ranch, house, and farm. Mm. Um, Another quote, it consumed half of the plantation. Another situation where a homestead was totaled. So this is absolutely affecting people's lives and livelihoods as well. Uh, And then on the note of... we asked this basically the same question, but for um, human health and safety, uh, has you or anyone you know been directly affected by wildfire or smoke from wildfire? Thankfully, the vast, vast majority said no. So 96% of people have had no ill effects from wildfire to their health or anyone they know. Um, but four people, 4% uh, did. And uh, two, uh, two, 1% of respondents or two people reported having to see, you know, a, going to a doctor because the, the smoke inhalation injuries, well, fortunately no one's been burned uh, and, or at least report, uh, responded to the survey, um, but they had some smoke and uh, heat exhaustion and, and injuries. So uh, I'll leave you with a couple of quotes here. Um, quote, my grandmother had breathing problems, including asthma, and the smoke from nearby fires would require her to be on her nebulizer more. Another quote, dense smoke brought on asthma attacks and myself that could not be alleviated by rescue inhaler uh, required multiple breathing treatments in clinic and a course of steroids uh, to bring under control. So uh, just to keep hammering on the point, again, all of these wildfires are caused by people and it's, it's bad enough that they affect our environment, but it's, it's affecting us. It's affecting mm-hmm. each other affecting our homes, affecting our health. And, uh, and it doesn't have to, and it's all just because, again, it's all caused by people for whatever purposes, uh, whether it's intentional set or accidental, they're all unavoidable. Uh, so yeah. bringing it back to our experience that day, uh, we were hiking and it was a threat to us. So as we mentioned in the video, uh, a bunch of people diverted to escape the, the path of the smoke potential path of the fire if there was was the word you spot fire earlier Mm -hmm. so if embers jump some distance and start another fire downwind okay to potentially escape those um could you offer some advice uh to maybe for uh hikers out on the trails just to stay safe to check the fire danger ratings and then christine maybe later on about how to protect your homes
2: yeah well uh the way we we offer kind of warning uh, for flash flooding, for people hiking to see the creeks and waterfalls. Um, same thing with the, the wildfires. Uh, take note of what the wind direction is, how strong the winds are. If they're gusty, if they're really strong, if you're seeing, if you're looking at the sword grass on the hillsides and it looks like just waves of water, then that's windy. You're going to feel that, especially when you, when you expose yourself in the higher terrain uh, to that wind. If there is a wildfire out there, take note where the smoke plume is going because that's where any of the ash, the potential spot fires is going to fall somewhere in that line. Uh, but if you're closer to a wildfire, take note also the different, uh, the terrain effects, the, the shape of the terrain, because fire tends to race uphill. Uh, Christine said it with the, the chimney effect. Uh, the fires try to go uphill uh, and especially when the hills are facing to the east uh, you have that uh, that trade wind flow that's pushing uphill. You got the uphill slope, so you got two things uh, fighting to make that fire push faster. So keep an eye on, open for that, and, and always be aware of your surroundings, and always be aware of uh, where you could maybe seek refuge, whether it's in a creek valley. Uh, you're going to see, uh, in the, the the deeper valleys, uh, some of the the deep, uh, the heavier foliage, the trees. Those trees are a source of refuge. Now, you might get smoked out of there, uh, but those trees, even in the the driest of dry season, there's there's plenty of moisture to keep those trees from burning. Uh, Now, it might not keep the leaves from getting singed and turned brown, but the trees will not go up in flames, not the larger trees. Uh, So those creek valleys are are sources of refuge, except for maybe some breathing issues. Uh, So always know where you can escape uh, but, uh, just when you head out, be aware of your surroundings, uh, take note of if there's any fires and, and don't even put yourself in that risk. If you can, if you can handle it, turn around, but yeah, I, I hike all the time. And sometimes you go out there for a five to eight hour hike and a fire can start while you're out there. So always be aware of your surroundings and, and, and kind of know of a, a different route to, to escape, uh, whether it's downhill uh, find a valley uh, or something similar to that, and, mm-hmm. and I would just uh, kind of trans transition to Christine, and she can add on a little bit real quick.
1: That was great, though, because um, Farron, yeah, you did. You called me, and you we were talking about this, and I, I was just also stressing. <clears throat> um, don't try to outrun a fire, okay? You you, you won't. Don't don't try to. Um, and I'm just gonna say you won't because I don't want people to try it. And if you're walk if you're hiking through and the land is already burned. Stay on that. Stay on the burn as you hike your way out, because it's already been burned. And that'll be for all firefighters. Um, one foot in the burn is where we're going to be safe. So mm-hmm. just just keep that in mind. For you had asked about around the homes, this video. Oh, before, oh, yeah. before we go yeah. there,
0: just just to round that <laughs> off, just to make sure. So yeah. obviously, we're going to if we're going to stay in a burn <laughs> scar, a fresh burn scar. There could still be some embers in there, or mm-hmm. smoldering boulders. I mean, uh, smoldering logs. Embers. Um, embers, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so we'll still want to approach that with uh, with some caution as too. Yes, but, going to but want we're going We're yeah. just sure that it's not going to catch fire again. Right. Okay. Okay.
1: That's 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 the
2: part.
0: And um, there, there was a what's this fire danger oh, rating? Yeah. That, um, so.
2: Is there? Want to touch on this? Yeah, I, I guess let's go ahead and uh, <laughs> let's get dirty with it. <laughs> <Let's> uh,
1: so, <laughs> so you, you know, viewers will be able to see the fire danger rating signs on um, our fire stations. So, Tamuning's got a great one, Barragata has another one that you can see on the station, and several of the others uh, should have their signs in the village. So, Brandon, go for it.
2: Yeah, so uh, we have this fire danger rating system. Uh, we used to categorize it in four categories low, moderate, uh, high, and extreme. Uh, we uh, recently did some, uh, uh, some improvements to it to really uh, factor in the full scope of fire danger. And of course, one of the biggest concerns for wildfires is the, the stronger winds that really uh, help spread the fires and make the firefighting very difficult. And where uh, forestry, GFD resources are usually uh, futile, where you may have to start uh, reaching out to DOD for uh, helicopter support. And uh, sometimes that is the case. Um, but those are the conditions that we're, we're looking for that are very dangerous. And we try to put out a watcher warning uh, for such conditions. But as I said, uh, we have fire dan- uh, five fire danger categories, a low, moderate, high, very high, and extreme. And basically, we're tying together a, a drought index, which factors uh, daily rainfall, uh, max temperature. And then we're also incorporating the wind forecast uh, because... We, we could have a very dry situation and no wind, and, and while fires will be very quick to start, uh, they're not gonna move very fast. They they will move uphill, they'll be slow to move downhill, uh, but there's not gonna be any uh, wind-related spread. However, if you take those same conditions, very dry, very hot, and then mix in 20, 25 mile per hour winds, then you've got a, a, a really serious situation that's developing. Uh, in that case, we're going to issue the uh, red flag warning, uh, meaning there is a, a very favorable conditions for fast spreading and difficult to maintain wildfires. We're not forecasting that fires will develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and as as we have established earlier that fires are man caused. we are not forecasting uh, the action of uh, humans, but we are forecasting those conditions that should a fire start, it's going to be very hard to control and uh, the normal firefighting resources you saw one of the pickup trucks that forestry uses with a tank of water is going to be uh, sorely inadequate that Mm -hmm. you're going to be calling upon other entities whether it's a uh, gfd uh, dod fire services and then of course helicopter support unfortunately
1: helicopter support doesn't come out gov doesn't have helicopter support we rely on um, the you know the mutual aid agreements with department of defense and they don't come out unless their assets are under threat so you'll you might see the Hilo support on nimitz hill because the pipeline and um, cross island road perhaps because of the magazine but all these other locations like oscaldal it would be great if we had you know access to that mutual aid agreement when half the aisle you know half the islands under fire um but Unfortunately, we don't have that. It it comes down to forestry's fire trucks are the only trucks that can access these points. And Brandon hit it. We had to leave the site. When we were making progress on that fire, we were like, we almost got it, ran out of water. We had to leave, refill, come back and catch it at the new location where, where it spread. And, you know, we have, yes, we have brush beaters and bladder bags. But conditions like we had that day, we were in the extreme category, I'm guessing, from just on the field.
0: I'm going to interrupt brush you there because do I, I don't think most people <laughs> have no idea what you're talking
2: about. <laughs> okay. with
0: oh, So I got viewers, that. listeners, a brush beater is basically a broomstick with like a truck tire flap. <laughs> Like mud flap. That's and they just smash down some grass and that's how it puts out the fire. so Twenty
1: five thousand swats later. It's, it's, a, it's
0: a glorified like Worked mud out. flap on a truck on a broomstick yeah. and they just tap the fire down and they'll just put it out and it actually works. I've it's seen it. it's very effective. Uh, yeah. And then what was it, what was the other one? That said bags. So
1: the the bladder bag. Bladder
0: bags. Now I want to explain it. Go for it. <laughs> no. Yellow canvas bag with basically like a brass squirt gun.
1: Okay, it's, it's a five-gallon backpack, uh-huh. <laughs> so we carry five gallons, and yes, everything else is about accurate. So
0: it's it's wow. it's yeah. super low tech. We do yeah, not have these incredible resources that they do in the states or, or other places in the world. Like DOD will come out for DOD land that's threatened. Yes, mm-hmm. but uh, okay, not, I guess not outside. Um, so. It's almost, it's, it's like, it's heroic to me that you're fighting a fire with such low tech equipment and, uh, and that, that they work if, if the conditions aren't too bad.
1: Yeah, this, the, the, the bladder bag and brush beater approach is, is, extre- is very effective, even in the very category. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you get our crews out there and they work together. One person has a brush beater, the other one has the bag and they work side by side in a line or one behind the other and they walk the the line of that fire and they put it out and it's quick because it's moving you know to them moving at their speed and then the fire truck is hitting the most active part of that fire and we can shut it down fairly quick it's just when we talk about these extreme conditions uh we can we can use that brush beater on that flame and it will still keep coming back there's just that much it's just that dry Mm -hmm. so okay yeah
0: and and i asked you earlier if, uh, if you're ready to move on about um how people can protect their homes
1: oh sure um okay so that video with the house the family i mean great job you they created defensible space uh they gave themselves a fire break essentially and what you want to do as a homeowner is if you have property and you have wildland right up against the property, jungle right up against your property, give yourself a 25, 30 foot, as much space as you can within reason where you knock back the grass. You want trees in your yard, you do not necessarily want the grass. And so for the trees, they'll hold moisture in the ground, as Brandon pointed out. And that, you know, fire doesn't want to be anywhere where moisture is. So it'll move away from the property. So cutting your vegetation, bush cutting your yard, um, removing your, your trash. If you have trash piling up along those edges um, during dry season, I highly encourage people to secure that. So that way it's not um, there during fire. Um, your people don't think about this too much. The propane tanks in the backyard, mm-hmm. the or the side of the house, the canopies. Remember canopies are petroleum-based products. So you really want to be careful with this. It's not a matter of, you know, it's a matter of uh, when this will happen, really. It's the the statistics, right? Statistics always rules that there's always going to be one. Mm -hmm. And there's
2: always that chance.
1: There's always that chance. And we encourage every community member here, everyone in your village, help each other out. Remind each other. If you have a Namku living next door and they can't bush cut their yard, man, offer it. Offer the help during dry season mm-hmm. to keep them safe and keep your family safe. So cutting some space, 25-30 feet, give yourself the distance. Whatever the height of your grass is, you need to like double that. That's the space you want to push it back because that's the flame length you could get depending on the winds.
0: Uh fully like trees too?
1: Uh tree. I encourage keeping trees. Prune mm-hmm. your trees. I mean, like though. double the height of
0: your trees too? Or
1: um Well, the tree height will play a factor if, if let's talk, if we start talking drought, drought, drought on Guam Uh and your trees are browning or you have dead trees. Watch out. Remove those dead trees. Remove the dead trees. Prune your trees. If you have low hanging branches right up against the jungle, like the grass line, then prune those branches and lift them up so the grasses aren't ready to ignite uh, the rest of your tree, right? Burn the tips of those leaves. But tree, our trees in general, when we see fire burning and it's burning towards continuous grassland or burning into, let's say, pagu,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we have to make a choice because there's only so many of us, we will go for the moving fire in the grass to put that out first and come back for the tree. Because we know it'll slow down if not self-extinguish at the tree line. So
2: yeah, and that, uh, that shows up with the fire evidence in Palau. They, they've been doing some uh, wildfire studies, and, mm-hmm. and you see how the fire slowly kind of encroaches in the, the, the jungle area that it, it burns through the sword grass or, or their version of sword grass. And, and, but uh, every fire eventually takes a little bit out of that tree line, and it kind of beats into the, the jungle a little bit at a time. It's, it's not much. But every fire does take its toll, uh, but it always does slow at that tree line. And, uh, and of course, Christina mentioned pruning the trees. And so the other thing is, well, what do you do with the the tree clippings, those branches that you prune? Do you just throw them to the side of the yard or do you try to uh, get rid of them in in an appropriate manner? Because those those dead branches will eventually dry out and and then it's going to become a potential fire source or, or a very ready to burn. And so keep in mind, if we have a typhoon that strikes Guam, all those down trees, the branches, that will become very readily available for burning the following dry season, all that dead brush. And, and we see that fuel load uh, in a really, uh, in a very busy typhoon season. A lot of down trees uh, where a lot of people will just kind of Trim those trees, chop them up, stick them in the jungle, uh, but that's just sitting there waiting for the following dry season that will come uh, with the new year and uh, so make sure you're prepared and uh, and kind of uh, being adequate about how you're dealing with the prunings.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I would not even have thought to think about like the effects of typhoons and adding to field loads. that's mm-hmm. that's that's a very interesting perspective. Thank you both for coming on. Uh, I, I I don't think we can end the show without talking about the, the environmental effects directly. I think we've kind of been skirting around it, which is yeah. great. Uh, putting that focus more on like how how it affects people, and I think that is just as important, if not more important. Uh, but yeah, let's let's go and take it to the environment, and I'll queue up another video here um, where I try to see where I try to explain some of these effects. We started the hike at sunrise by climbing to the crosses on Humitzong Manglo and quickly saw some of the hillside was burned. People often think that when you burn the grass, it puts the nutrients back into the soil. But I think it's more accurate to say it puts the nutrients on top of the soil. And then when it rains, and it rains every day somewhere on Guam, it just washes down the rivers and then into the ocean. Here is a perfect example of soil quality so poor that nothing is growing in it. Now check this out as raindrops hit the ground around the rock they loosen the soil and wash it away now there's a foot of soil under this rock so i wonder if a foot of soil is missing from this whole area and i can't even guess how many tons of soil is missing here burnings like this are a huge cause of such erosion and are easily the most preventable since all wildfires are caused by people environment aside it just makes me sad to see our gorgeous island and iconic places like this burn and to know that we're the ones doing it. In there, I, I say that that it's a misconception that when you burn, it puts the nutrients back into the soil, puts it on top. And I, I think I said that in context where we're on an unmanaged area. This is not someone's farm that they're taking care of. So while we're on the slopes and unmanaged, uh, again, hiking trails and so on, would, would you agree with that? Is that? Uh, and please, um, please feel free to disagree. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is the nutrients going back in or is it? blowing away or is it 50 50 or some other percent breakdown
1: <laughs> maybe maybe we'll give like a small fraction where it's going back in somewhere but no for the most part it's probably going to wash down because remember grasses don't do a whole lot to retain um soil anyway mm-hmm. uh there's you know people look at the the, the mountains and they see grass and like oh what's the problem there's 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 cover there's mm-hmm. cover there mm-hmm. But what they don't see, and you know this from both of you from hiking the, the ridge, that you may be hiking through grass, but you're falling into the ditches that have eroded um, the holes because it's eroded away over time. So I, I'd still say that you're once that burns, you're you're losing that.
0: And just logically, when as a point of contrast, when you're raising a farm, you're going to get rid of your previous crop and you're going to have another crop come in and you want those nutrients. But... We're not replacing any crops in the bat, uh, like on the trails, no. right? We just want yeah. the nutrients to stay in the plants. Yeah. Yes, and remember, right. farmers
1: <laughs> plant other things that that help that benefit the soil after, like these crop rotations. You know, you'll plant legumes at some point because that will definitely put nitrogen back into the soil and recharge that. So, farmers, there's a science, and our farmers are awesome, right? So, there's a science to it. They're practicing that. These fires in the wildlands, we're we're not gaining that benefit. We're losing it. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's sad.
0: Okay. And, and we, can't, we can't not mention the ridge to reef effect. So mm-hmm. um, there you'll see pictures of it um, occasionally where we have uh, sediment plumes when it rains heavily after a fire and all that loose soil and ash and whatever else just comes washing down into the rivers and then out to the ocean. I've personally been out there while this has happened I, I seem to find myself in strange places, in the middle of fire, in an yeah. oil spill. <laughs> in... It's awesome, so to you're giving,
1: um, you've really given, um, <sighs> you know, the Guam guy uh, link, or your, your your page has really given people um, the insight, the view to what, they're never going to see this. There are going to be a lot of people out there like, wow, ah, I would love to hike that one day. They never do it, yeah. but they got to appreciate the effort because you've given them access to that. Thank you. So... Yeah, it's I usually teach when I have outreach events, I'll say um, fire in the ridge, smoke in the village, debris in the river and sediment in the bays. Mm. I mean, it just it ties it together. It's, it's, It's up from top ridge. Mm-hmm. Ridge to reef, and we can't forget those amazing rivers and our people, our villages, all in the middle of all of this.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've I, I've personally been uh, snorkeling, free diving outside of uh, Seda Bay or Sela Bay, if you're pronouncing correctly. Seda Bay is, is closer. Um, from one month to another, and uh, I, I remember back. This was before GoPros existed. I was snorkeling out there and I remember coming out thinking, wow, this is the first reef I've been on where I didn't see any like human trash or anything like that. My mind was blown. Um, hmm. I went back like uh, maybe a month or so later and there was uh, presumably some fire or some erosion causing thing and then it rained. And then I went back out super excited and I'll never forget this site. The entire surface of the reef, every coral was coated in yeah. this layer of dirt, this layer oh. of sediment. And even worse than that, I guess there's some microbes or something in there and they're making these little gas bubbles. So all these little bubbles like coating everything with the soil too, wow. and it looks sickly. And yeah. um, so I, if, if, if personal, if anecdote means anything to you, I've seen it myself. Uh, I had another incident where I was at a, a Billy Bay or Toguan Bay just freediving, and it started raining really hard, um, like raindrops the size of grapes or something like that. Wow. And, and uh, it, it, the water came out and there was just this, it was a wall, three foot deep wall of dirt just off, mm. along the top coming straight wow. at us. So we're lucky uh, we didn't get sick or anything, but we, we came right back in. That cannot be good for the coral. And if you yeah. like fish, it can't be good for the fish either because the fish depend on the coral. Exactly. So there's really
2: no good reasons to burn. Um, is, is that is that fair?
1: That's definitely fair.
2: Yeah. And the other thing is keep in mind that wildfires change the the way the grounds uh, absorb the rainfall. Now, tropical rainfall is going to be maximized on the efficiency of nature to produce heavy downpours. So we're going to get flash flooding uh, no matter what the surface is like. But um, you look at the urbanized areas, all the concrete jungle, the roads, the parking lots, you, you get a one inch rainfall in one hour. That's a pretty good rain. That rain's going to just run off somewhere. It's going to flood somewhere because the drains cannot keep up with it usually, and so all that water is going to just flush somewhere. And uh, but when you look at a completely vegetated area that's uh, forested and everything, you don't see that type of response uh, from the ground. It just absorbs that rainfall because it's more porous. It, it just uh, it, it accepts that rain. It distributes it. But uh, when you start heading into like the grassier mountains, uh, you're still going to get a lot of that heaviest rainfall that's going to go into runoff. But imagine after we've had this big wildfire, it's scorched the the grasses, and then you just have kind of an exposed uh, dirt-clay mix that has then baked in the sun. It's becoming hard. It's cracking. It's almost uh, like rock. And then you get a heavy rainfall, that rain is not going to be absorbed into the ground. It's what we call a, hygro, a hy- hydrophobic. Hydrophobic. Yeah. Hydrophobic. That water is going to go straight off to runoff. It's going to run. Uh, it's going to wash away the, the small sediment. It's going to go into the creeks and straight out to the reef. And you've actually got an increased risk of flash flooding. Uh, is something that is very well pronounced uh, in the Rocky Mountains, uh, where very hot fires can actually make the ground even more hydrophobic. Uh, I don't think we have fires getting that hot out here since it's just mainly grass-based mm, versus but, actual trees. But you still have that runoff concern. And uh, and so that's something that, uh, in the heat of the fire, we might not think about, but there is a very real consequence to the fires in that regard. I saw this YouTube video I want to run by. you. <laughs> Everything's on YouTube these days,
0: right? <laughs> um, so it seemed like surface area had a nice big role in this too. So just having something to... Uh, for the raindrops to hit on their way down and spread themselves out. So if you have a little big tree with a lot of leaves on it, that's going to prevent a good amount of of rain, uh, rain from even hitting the ground. So if, yeah. if flash floods is a concern, um, then, then
2: that's just another benefit to have trees around. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. The the weather service actually changes the way it uh, does flash flood forecasting depending on the season. And if there's been a, a major wildfire in parts of the the Rocky Mountains, uh, they'll actually be more forward leaning. Uh, to issuing flash flood warnings uh, based on the same amount of rainfall just because of the uh I guess the on the ground the, the priming of the grounds yeah. for uh just runoff conditions.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well this 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 has been absolutely amazing. Uh thank you both for coming on. Uh just I give you a shot uh chance to uh speak any last messages if you have any if we didn't get to, especially if you were waiting to say something and we didn't get to
2: talk about it. Uh, anything lingering in there, uh, Brandon? Well, all I gotta say is uh, always uh, know what the latest forecast is. Uh, so we we say dry season, dry season, dry season, and uh, it just seems like sometimes we put out the red flag warning, we're indicating the potential volatility for fast spreading wildfires, and then all of a sudden it rains. <laughs> uh, but a lot of times the big wind makers in a dry season uh as what we've seen so today is the January 20th and the the past week we've seen this uh the shear line in the areas is southern extent of a cold front uh that's moved off of Japan and, and it, while it brings a stronger winds sometimes it does bring rain and this week we have been very fortunate to receive 2 to 4 inches of rain and uh so we're very appreciative of it but that does not always pan out uh, with the rainfall and uh, so, know what the latest forecast is, and, and then pay attention to what the fire danger is, uh, both at the, the fire stations, and, and then also in our daily fire weather forecast, which you can find at our webpage weather.gov/gum under uh, forecast fire weather. Beautiful
1: okay i think everybody can say this one with me don't burn guam just follow the campaign learn more about your fire safety learn more about what you can do to protect your green spaces on guam and follow us at doag.forestry facebook instagram twitter i may not always know how to work it but we have it and um but your forestry team at the guam department of agriculture is here to serve you so follow us and join us on our future events yeah
0: thank thank you both so much uh on to that effect we had a comment on instagram from heart guam is there a way to help grow the trees for replanting in the rainy season i would love to help and I said, yes, uh, follow doag.forestry on Instagram because you raise all the trees and you lead the tree planting. Events. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Um, uh, sometimes we go through a, a recording or th- a thing and we're like, we kind of hate ourselves because we forgot to say something big. So <laughs> please do follow me on Instagram at the Guam Guy, all one word. And I'll give uh, them or myself a chance to uh, close in, uh, come back in with any final notes. So. Uh, thanks for watching.